one year on since this all began February 24th of 2022. And um, it's an opportunity to sort of take a look back at where this started, where it's gone and where it might be headed. And to help us with that, we have David Perry joining us, who is president of CGAI and host of the Defense Deconstructed podcast. David, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Yeah, good to talk to you. If we go back to where we were a year ago, I think the assumption most of us had is this was not going to go at all well for Ukraine. It would probably be pretty quick. Um, we were all very surprised by the way it played out in the opening days, weeks, and months, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, I mean, I, would, I think it's pretty safe to say that it hasn't gone very well for Ukraine, even though it's gone sure, of course. better than people anticipated. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, I think in a number of ways, just been a horrific uh, 12 months, but uh, for a whole bunch of different factors, including um, some pretty incredible resiliency from the Ukrainian people uh, and an incredible fighting spirit, um, it's gone a lot worse for the, the Russians than anticipated mm. in lots of different ways. Um, um, sorry, keep going. I'm, I just think it's, uh, you know, I think that the sad thing, though, is that we're now getting to a point where I, I think we can expect more of what we've seen in the last couple of months rather than uh, a quick resolution in any particular direction. Um, we'll get to that in a second, because that's obviously the key discussion here. But in terms of why it's gone the way that it has, I mean, is there any one factor that stands out? Because I think there's a bunch. I think there's maybe some ineptitude on behalf of the Russians. There's the surprising resolve of the Ukrainians. And there's the international support. I mean, is there any one reason or is it just all those things had to come together the right way to have the fact that we're still talking about this year later yeah i think it really is that, that confluence of a whole bunch of different things that, yeah. uh, that you were flagging there rather than any one particular thing but certainly what the russian regime uh, politically was looking to do last february uh, had a whole host of assumptions into it uh, that uh, proved to be false uh, ranging from the ability of their forces to do some pretty difficult stuff uh, in a, if they faced even moderate uh, let alone uh, really quite good opposition uh, to a lack of uh, solid intelligence about the Ukrainians um, uh, and an inability uh, to have uh, planning on the defense forces case because uh, the political leadership didn't give them enough notice. Uh, that, that was really key, but those other factors that you mentioned, I think, were, were certainly critical in getting us to where we are today. So where we are today, um, and like you say, a lot of the the struggles and the I think the unexpected um, obstacles that Russia has run into, has it weakened their resolve at all? Or it, it seems to me like they're sort of, they can't, they, they can't back down now. They, they have to keep going forward. Do I have, is, is there a possibility that they may change course? Didn't really see much of an indication of that coming from the Kremlin, at least from the top. Yeah. Uh, you know, Putin's speech uh, a week ago, uh, pretty pretty categorical and uh, wanting to continue the trajectory. Uh, you know, I think there are signs to point to, though, that um, there's some difficulties in, in having the, the wider societal support that even in a dictatorship you need a degree of to keep supporting this. Um, lots of uh, younger uh, Russians voting with their feet uh, and leaving the country, as an example. Uh, when the, the government went to a military mobilization a few months ago, um, that's not good. And certainly at least a lot of the reporting that's getting picked up uh, in our press about the state of morale uh, amongst uh, some of those mobilized uh, Russians that are they're now being thrown into pretty brutal uh, uh, circumstances and being used callously, basically, by the regime. Um, that uh, doesn't seem like a, a dynamic that's uh, very favorable to keep Russian support going. Um, but certainly at the top, they're giving any, any and every indication that um, they're intent on keeping this going. 
So where does it end? How does it end? I know there's some conversation from China, you know, saying that they've got a plan, they want a ceasefire. How do you see this possibly coming to some kind of resolution? Uh, gruesomely and slowly, I guess, to, to paint two negative pictures. Um, yeah, I think the fighting that we're seeing right now uh, is, remains horrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the, even just uh, the portion of it that's that's between the legitimate combatants and not getting into what Russia is doing, targeting civilian infrastructure, hitting civilian population centers in Ukraine. Um, that's brutal and unlikely to change. Uh, and I think the other thing we're looking at right now is that the way that the war has shifted, the geography has become more concentrated. Both sides are, are relatively uh, dug in. Um, it's not really clear that either one of them at the moment has the ability to really kind of press for a meaningful change of the, the situation on the ground. The Russians have lost tens, if not into 100,000 uh, uh, troops hundreds if not thousands of pieces of equipment and they're running lower on some of their supplies than they were previously but they started with immense arsenals um so they're, they're drawing down on that and they still have more to go the ukrainian side i don't think we have a great picture uh, of exactly what kind of losses they've taken but certainly there have been active efforts um, from countries including canada to supply them with as much equipment um as as we feel that we can give uh and that's really had a, a significant impact but i don't think it's a a point yet where it's, it's very clear that it could potentially tip them over yeah. giving them the ability to start taking big chunks of new territory. So you're not talking about a potential diplomatic solution at all here. It's just going to grind on to your thinking. If I had to make a guess, I think, uh, unfortunately, we could be having a, a second-year anniversary conversation like this 12 months from now. Ugh. Awful to think, but uh, we'll see. And if we do, uh, we'll chat with you then. Thanks so much, David. I always appreciate your time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.